welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Greetings, tomatoes. I'm Cheryl Benton, and I'm your host for today's Happy Hour podcast. This is the time of the year when many of us make resolutions, but here's one that might not be at the top of your list, but perhaps it should be. And that's to improve our conversations this year, to have transparent conversations that can build trust in your business and your personal life. And today we're going to have a conversation about conversations. And I have three wonderful guests joining me today. They're all top global organizational coaches from different parts of the world. They were each trained in conversational intelligence, which is a groundbreaking work that was pioneered by the late Judith E. Glazer that's helped thousands of business leaders around the world to lead more effectively. And my guests today are going to share their personal stories of applying conversational intelligence, which each of them wrote about in a very powerful book that we were very excited to have a chance to publish last year, and it's called Changing Conversations for a Changing World. So let me first introduce them to you. We have Christian DeLay. He's a project leader, coach, and facilitator, and he's based in Switzerland. We have Karen Ovari, who is a safety leader and team creator. She's an Aussie based in Scotland. So when I say Scotland, you'll understand her that she does not have a Scottish accent. And then we have Linda Keller, who's a trainer and leadership coach, and she's based in Germany. So welcome. So happy to have the three of you here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. So Each of you are very successful organizational coaches, but you are all also trained and certified by Judith Glazer in the techniques of conversational intelligence. So I'm really curious to understand what actually drew each of you to Judith's work and and to actually want to become trained and certified in this. So Christian, let's start with you. Okay, so my... My passion for continuous learning led me to um, WBEX pre-summit event, which is online. And there I saw a session from Judith Iglesias. I think it was back in 2015, 2016. And when I saw during the session, uh, the neuroscience, the anthropology, conversational intelligence, the way that Judith and Buddy I work, and especially the quote of Judith Iglesias, which is, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the cultures, which depends on the quality of the relationships, which depends on the quality of the conversation. Everything happens through conversation. After all of this, I knew I have to do it. And so I did. Well, that's great. And that's such a power, put such powerful words from, from Judith as well. So Karen, what attracted you to becoming trained in this? 
I guess I was, I'd been looking for uh, a way to help people have better conversations, particularly in the front line of high hazard industries, so, such as the guys who are working out on oil rigs, because that's where I tend to work. So helping them to understand. And the, the way we'd been teaching conversations 10 years ago was a little bit uh, passe and a bit, uh, you know, they could see it coming. Let me put it that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, here they come, you know. <laughs> so I thought there must be something else. And uh, part of my coaching journey and continuous learning, I also, like Christian, was involved with WBEX in, or from time to time. And, uh, and, and I, actually got, I actually came across Judah's book first, in fact, uh, Conversational Intelligence and How to Build Trust. And through reading that and then the course became available and uh, the program became available and that's really how I got there. And I thought, I love this work. Um, I like its, mm, its simplicity but belies its complexity. And so for me, it was about how do I get better at helping others to have those conversations and what sort of... Mm, Using a Judith term, you know, what conversational rituals can we build into that that's more user-friendly, if you like? And Linda, what about you? No, yeah, well, it seems we all had the same sort of inspiration. It was also <laughs> it was me, W. Bex, good old W. Bex. Uh, also in 2015. Um, and, uh, yeah, and on that pre-summit conference, just seeing the way Judith explained and made this neuroscience of conversations accessible to people like me who had really no prior knowledge on the subject. I immediately bought her book and I became more and more enthralled with every turn of every page. I had one light bulb moment after the other as I learned to understand so many things that I had previously only felt and sensed or seen and experienced. So it was really exciting and I, I felt as though I was getting all the different pieces to my puzzle that had been missing for such a long time. I was hooked, actually. I was really hooked. And I wanted to know more. I, um, I wanted to know more. I wanted everybody to find out about uh, conversational intelligence. I wanted to tell my family, my friends, and above all, my coaches. So I signed up and also joined the first cohort in 2016. I'm sorry. Well, I, I love all of your enthusiasm around this, and I know it's going to get all of our listeners very enthused, enthused around, this, around this, uh, this topic as well. So I think that enthusiasm probably led you to form a group called the European CIQ Collective. So Christian, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what is the mission of this group? Okay. So we are an international group of professional coaches, each one certified in CIQ, conversational intelligence, and each one has also several and different areas of expertise. So we cover a large spectrum of competences, and we are active mainly in Europe and US, and also some of us are active also on other continents. Our main mission is to learn and grow together and to make as many people as possible benefiting from the greatness you get when you have more when you have more conversational intelligence as a collective we do several things like masterminds events books the one you published and uh, we do co-creation together um, we do the peer support which is really important between us and and much more yeah and i know you just did we a fabulous uh, seminar too this past uh Ball, right that was your first one 
a big three-day yes, conference, Becky, right? that was That was an online conference. Originally, that was planned to be an internal mastermind just between us. And uh, due to the COVID situation, we just shifted and reframed this. And we say, okay, we're going to refocus that week. And we're going to do an um, online event for our client, um, anybody who is interested to learn more online about conversational intelligence such that we can leverage on this COVID time to learn something. Yeah, and I, I really love that because it was such a great example of how uh, of pivoting during COVID and taking something and, and really turning it into something different and something actually even bigger. And I think that's, you know, we have had some good things that have come out of it. And I think that's such a, a really good example around that. So, Linda, I know this is kind of maybe a tough question because conversational intelligence is a lot. There's a lot involved there. But are there just some simple core principles that you could explain to our listeners um, in applying conversational intelligence? Well, yeah, it, it is difficult because there's a whole book on this. Um, but I think the basics is just understanding that everything happens through conversations, um, as Christian said earlier. Conversations are not just about exchanging information. They're about the way we connect and interact with others, and they affect our relationships. I think today, everyone, especially in the US, understands how much words matter, how words really do create worlds. Because words trigger feelings and emotions, and feelings and emotions stimulate chemical reactions in our bodies, which either open us up in trust and safety, or they close us down in distrust and fear. And we act accordingly. And so applying conversational intelligence enables us to influence those chemical reactions by upgrade, upregulating or downregulating the production of hormones and neurotransmitters so we can express our thoughts in ways that build understanding, that build good relationships, and affect the way we listen to each other. These all have enormous impact on the way we interpret and see our reality, and we act accordingly. Well, it's such it's such a powerful um, it's such a powerful way of looking at conversations, and I think the fact that you can actually give people tools to do this um, it, it really is breakthrough. So. Um, we're going to hear more about that with some examples too. But um, Karen, I want to talk to you a little bit about how the book came about, because I know one of the things with the European CIQ Collective and also with conversational intelligence is that you're very much about collaboration and co-creation. And 15 of you managed to come together to create this book. And I have to say, when, when it first came to me as an opportunity to publish through the three tomatoes book publishing i thought you know i've dealt with single authors which could sometimes be challenging enough and i'm like oh my god 15 authors doing this one book but i have to say it for me it was a really wonderful really very seamless process so tell us a little bit about 
how it came about and what that experience was like actually co-creating a book together. I'm so glad that was your experience. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you know, the story of the book, you know, it's one of these things that looked like it sort of just appeared overnight. But of course, with all things that appear overnight, there was a bit of a journey to get there. And the book actually started, the idea of the book was originally a free download for the website. <laughs> you know, that was actually the very first idea probably three years ago. And uh, so then we sort of, through a whole variety of reasons, you know, we faffed about, for the want of a better word, um, uh, trying to get that some people were more on top of their chapter than others, and I'd be in the others bracket. Uh, I think Christian was in the previous bracket. Um, <laughs> I think he was one of the first to get it done, and I think I'm one of the last, but anyway. Um, but then over time, we sort of started to realise that, you know, we've got so much talent in the group um, and we like to do things together um, and we realize that there's an opportunity here to actually do more with this and share that with with the world so uh, so then the idea is of, well, why don't we create a book and by this stage we had a few more people had joined our community like Linda and Grace and a few others and who are a bit more um, well, Grace, for, for example, I mean, she'd already, she was already, she's already an author of her own book. So that sort of then started to fire us up a little bit more. And so then, and then some other people, Vicky was involved in the early stages and then Uta got involved and is, you know, so it, it sort of, everybody kind of had a place to play in getting the book forward. You know, it's, it's, some were just to get the chapter, others about a chapter and a bit more um, and, so that's kind of how it came about. And in the end, you know, bringing, I, I'll just have to, <laughs> when they said, oh, shall we use Three Tomatoes? And I just said, anybody that comes with a name called Three Tomatoes Book Publishing, I'm in. <laughs> right? so, so I thought, that, I love it, right? And, um, and I keep thinking of that, remember that book or, or that movie or whatever it was, The Fried Green Tomatoes or something? Yes. For some reason, that kept coming to mind. But anyway, so I guess that, so it really all came about. And, and I think what was really lovely, you mentioned our event earlier, and we had already named that event Changing Conversations for a Changing World. And then we got to that point where you said, well, what are we going to call it? And I thought, well, I think a few of us sort of, well, why don't we just call it the same as the event, which was changing conversations for a changing world. So it was all, it all sort of, the planets aligned, let me say, to, yeah. uh, to then bring this together. So, but without the collective and the trust and the faith, I guess, uh, some people needed a bit more shoving like me and then, you know, less than others, uh, it came together. And I think it's a fantastic outcome. Yeah, it it is. It is. Yeah. And it's a great and it's a great book title. You know, titles of books are very yeah. important. And it's and it yeah. is so important. Changing conversations is um, is really very powerful and very multi-layered, too, and certainly very much needed in and probably quite today's very chaotic changing world. world. You know, <laughs> it's certainly it's changing. It's chaotic. We never know what we're going to wake up to every morning. So um so what I really, what really resonated with me with the book was that 
each of you really took your own personal stories in your own work. Some are more personal than others. Some are more individual. Some are more how you've worked with corporations. But you have very honestly and in very engaging ways throughout the book in every single chapter of how this really works in the real world. So it's not something that's theoretical. So I, I think that's what makes this book so positive for anyone reading it because you can read it and say, oh, now I understand how this should work. So each of you wrote a chapter. So we're going to start with uh, with Christians, which is chapter eight, and it's a case study called the Agile Project Room. And you made it very personal because you took, you took an employee named Martin who's pretty unhappy at the start of the chapter. So tell us a little bit about that and how Martin got to a better place. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the chapter is about uh, employee engagement and also high performing teams. So it's it's basically the story of a bootcamp with a project team. So getting into a a project team each each time is new experience. I basically love project team and project work. Uh, Everything is a project like strategy, transformation, development, product, services. You meet every time new people. And the Agile Project Room is a safe space for the project team to co-create and thrive with every needed resource, workplaces, and information. So basically, every important ceremony, rituals of the team happens in the project room. So, for example, there's zero email because you don't need email. You do every conversation, every exchange inside the project room. It's also a place where you have the difficult conversation. And this is where conversational intelligence plays a, a crucial role to create the safe space where you can have all the needed conversation, inclusive the difficult one, in order to go on with the project, with one another, to, to grow together and to move forward. It's also a place where you can have a space for any question. And this is not easy to create. Like anybody from any matter, any subject can ask a question. And uh, we all there in the room and uh, everybody hear the question. So you have to take, you have to put some trust in place in order that people are risky and uh, allow themselves to ask any question, especially the crazy one, the silly one, which you don't um really want to ask and those questions are the one which are bringing the teams further so with this there's also you know some team rules which has to be in place and uh, which open the space and inside the project room there's also some other things like the the project vision and the roadmap i often had the issue in the past that when you gather people together they don't really know why are they here <laughs> they look right. around and say where are we going to? And, you know, putting this on the wall and making it visual, putting words on it. So we said before, words create worlds. So if you want a new world after the project, you need some words on it, you need some pictures. And uh, one of the tools which, which is described in the chapter, which I really love, it could be my, one of the preferred is, is the power of the flip chart. So for example, I'm, I'm working in the technology field. Uh, so in, in IT, software, and stuff like this. And uh, the concepts are pretty complex, 
and abstract. So when you have a conversation, um, it's not easy to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So I have flip chart everywhere. And I have conversation mainly around the flip chart. And I ask questions and the, the, the engineer and the people explain stuff. And I start writing and drawing some words, some symbols. And then I ask if it's correct or not. And then I pass over the pen to the other one and they, they fix my drawing and they make it better. And so at the end of the conversation, we have a common picture of the subject we just discussed. And this is such an help. And um, in the book, it's written more about a co-located Agile project room. So it's something physical where you go inside it. Um, as Karin said before, the history of the book was beginning 2018, something like this. So there was no COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so now, of course, we have to shift a bit. Um, there's the same concept are completely feasible in virtual environment, so remote work. And in my constellation now, we have something which is hybrid. So some people are at home, some people are in the office, and you can do the same. So it's, it takes me more tooling, more courage, more willingness, and you can do it. Mm -hmm. And what I would say about it is that um, the, the main goal why I wrote this is basically to empower those who create value, which is the employees. And my goal is that any team member of any project team can be empowered, have the tool they need, and especially have fun creating great products and services. Well, that's, that's great. And, that, and that's what you show with Martin, because, you know, in the, in the beginning, he's pretty um, disenfranchised, I think, and very... Um, uh, wary of what's about to happen, and then through the process, you know, you he 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 ends up being listened to. There's clarity. He becomes part of the project. So you see the whole engagement and how and how that whole process really works to turn to turn people around. So that's um, that's a really really positive thing. So now I've got to move over to to Karen, you have chapter nine mm -hmm. and your chapter is all about safety and trust. And you mentioned earlier, you work in some very safety critical fields, you know, oil rigs, healthcare, transportation, you know, people who are in situations, really life and death situations often where trust is very important. So let's talk about your chapter is about trust and how it plays into a culture of safety. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll step back because one of the things when you go, so yeah, so working in the in in high hazard industries, um, and particularly around really it's about culture change, um, but we put the word safety culture change in front of that because it's about you know with our focus if you like is on the on the the behaviors and the the approach that people take to getting the job done safely on time within budget and all of those elements. And one thing that's really important or something I very strongly believe that if you can create an environment where people feel safe to put up their hand and say, I've messed up here or I need help or can we challenge the system, then if they can do that for a safety moment, 
whatever that moment might be, then it will actually impact the bottom line of the entire organisation. Because if they feel safe in those moments to have a conversation, then they will have the other conversations that they need to have. So um, what I tend to do, so I run workshops and we do big programs. And so in the chapter, I sort of talk a little bit more about what we call the safety culture maturity ladder. And when we look at these high hazard organisations, I mean, this, is, this model's been around for a long time, um, but basically you start with organisations or that are at uh, that level of really safety doesn't play a role. They'll do some compliance. They'll make sure that they meet the needs that needs to be met while somebody's looking, but when nobody's looking, they don't do anything. So they're certainly not proactive. They're certainly not, they just do with the bare minimum. And then you step up this ladder until eventually you get to a place of being gen what we call generative. But to get there, you have to increase, you have in increased conversations so that people are increasingly informed and that way you would build trust and accountability. So as we move up the ladder, that's what we're trying to build. Now, to move up that ladder, we need to understand what are our triggers, what are our emotions to get there, what, you know, what conversations do we need to have, what information do we need to share so that we can actually do what we need to get done safely to make sure everybody goes home. So I've run lots and lots of workshops over the last 20-odd years, and but one of the things I've really incorporated into that work now is, is the conversational dashboard, what Judith calls the conversational dashboard. And it really looks at, and I always do a bit, I use it as a temperature check just at the beginning. I don't even really explain what it is or I don't even talk about the brain at this point in time. I just use it actually as a temperature check. And I look at it and say, okay, so you can either be, uh, you've come into this workshop, you're into this space, whatever it might be. Uh, it could be a meeting, you know. Are you feeling, um, what's the first one? I've just lost the word. Um, come on, team. Um, what's the first one? Not... Um, Resistance. Yeah. So are you feeling resistor? Are you feeling resistant to where you are right now? Are you feeling skeptical? Or are you sort of sitting on the fence checking out, you know, where do I want to be? Or are you starting to move into that? You know, you've, you want to engage, you want to see where we're going to move forward. How do we uh, create a better place for us to work in? Or do we go all the way through to where we, yeah, come on, let's do this and become an advocate and become co-creative. So I don't really give them a lot of explanation at this point in time what all of those mean. I literally just have a bar and that's it, um, or a curve, let me say. And I actually get them to do like a poll to see where they're at. And it's really interesting because even in that moment, they start to think about, well, where am I at this? And so what does that mean to the conversations I'm having? So if I move into a position and I'm feeling very resistant or I'm in a mood of resistance or in a mood of scepticism, then what sort of conversations are we having? So then we start to open that up and that's where we start to look at trust because then as we peel back the layers on that, we then look at, well, if you're in this protective mode where you're resistant or whatever, then you have it in a place of low trust. As you move over, then you start to move into that place of high trust. So now we're going to move from protecting ourselves through to opening up and partnering with everybody else around us and how do we do that as an organisation, yeah, so that we all have safe to convers safer conversations. So really the chapter just takes you through a little bit of a journey of what I take people through on one of those workshops. Um, well, 
Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, go I love, I love, um, I love that dashboard tool, and I love the way you're awesome. using it in the beginning of a of a meeting as a temperature check. And I mean, that's something that we could use in, in in any kind of meeting that we're we're facilitating. And I think it's something that's seems so simple. It's simple enough that people can understand it and respond, but mm -hmm. yet it gives you a tool to get you to a much better place from the beginning of a meeting to the end and what you're hoping to accomplish. Absolutely. So because I then I actually ask them, so what's it going to take for you to move one step, just one step, that's all we're asking. What are you going to take to just move a little bit, uh, move that needle along just a little bit so that we can have a better conversation going forward? Yeah, I think it's so great because it makes people yeah. tap into what they're feeling right now and then, okay, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. How, what do I need now? And I think it starts to help obviously with some open and honest dialogue between people, which is what trust is really all about, isn't it? So, well, it's so, our inbuilt risk assessment, actually. Yes, it's exactly. our human risk assessment, our inbuilt one. You know, I love it. So, Linda, in her chapter, which is chapter twelve, you also deal with trust, and you use a um, again a case history uh, on how you've used conversational intelligence to build trust against uh, across teams. And your story is very interesting because you deal with the, you take the story of the top executive who's new to a firm, he's got an international team, he has to implement change, and his first 100 days are an absolutely disaster because no one likes him and it's all falling apart. And then you come into the picture, or the team does. So tell us about how you rescued this man <laughs> and rescued the team. No, yeah, well, Put on your superwoman cloak. <laughs> Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't going as well as he'd intended it to go anyway. Uh, actually, it had a lot to do with intent and impact. Um, and it was actually a really very interesting case because on the surface, it looked as though he was doing everything right. You know, he was doing all the things that the leadership books advise people to do in their first 100 days as, the, as a senior executive. He was asking all the questions. He was walking through the, the plant. He was watching people. He was lifting up, turning over every single stone. But it wasn't the, the things that he was doing that was causing the problem. It was the way that he was doing it. And we all know, we all know that trust is the foundation on which relationships are built. It's vital if we want to go from I, from an I culture to a we culture and build a team. So, yes, he was asking questions to find out more about what was going on. But was he building trust while he was doing so? It appears he wasn't. It appears that he was asking questions to find out more. And what he really wanted to do was to say to people, you can trust me. Um, I'm on your side. I'm here to help you. Um, I want to build trust. I'm going to look after you. Tell me what you think. But actually what was being understood was, if I don't say what you want to hear, I may lose influence or even my job. In other words, they felt trust was conditional. And that was because he was stuck in what we in CIQ terms call level two conversations. If we're thinking of Karen's dashboard, we got level one, that's when we're you know, um, <clears throat> in resistor. 
And then we get to level two, that's when we sort of a wait and see conditional trust type thing. Um, he wanted to be on the other side of the dashboard, co-creative, share, and, uh, and discover together with the people. But he couldn't get there. He couldn't get there because he couldn't listen to connect and not judge or reject what he was hearing. He was positional. He had expectations of what he wanted to hear, and he was listening to those things. The people that he was asking questions of, they were absolutely right. He actually knew that he wasn't a good listener. Like so many other senior executives, he said it was because he knew what they were going to say anyway. But he didn't realize that if he had listened more deeply for a bit longer, he could have discovered things that he didn't know. And he could have built the trust that he kept telling everyone should have in him. But the other thing that really helped him, though, was understanding that trust was not something you can tell somebody to have in you or that you built it and that it would remain there forever. It's not a matter of trust or distrust. It's a matter of trust and distrust being in your brain parallel at the same time, but in different places. It's about the balance, really. And as soon as people feel threatened, as soon as people feel fear or pain, distrust just flares up uh, in order to protect them. It's that part of the brain, the brain that's the fastest part of the brain, and it has to be that way. So trust is imperative for anyone to succeed in building main relationships, meaningful relationships. And, and he realized that very quickly. And that was the change, basically. Well, and that, that's a wonderful example. And you've also brought up something that's so important here, too, and that's learning the critical skill of listening, which I think we could all learn to do better because conversation isn't just talking. It's really about listening and people want to be heard. And um, I know I tend not to listen very well sometimes, <laughs> which my husband tells me often, I told you that, but you weren't listening to me. But when you get even deeper, it's more people really want to be heard. And you're right, we want to rush to what we think their thought is, without actually allowing them to, to be heard and say what they think. And that's such an important thing, I think, for all of us in our everyday relationship. And that brings me to the next part of this, because while you're all business consultants and, and coaches, and the examples in the book are mostly around business situations, conversational intelligence applies to all of our relationships, whether it's with our spouses, our partners, our kids, our friends. So I would love to hear a little bit from each of you is having gone through this with clients, has it changed your personal relationships in any way? So Christian, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's a big change. So basically the understanding of how the brain works, the old neuroscience and the neurochemistry of conversation just helps me every day. I get so many insights of the running conversation, and especially the dysfunction in the conversation. And the, the broader conversational intelligence knowledge allows me to immediately see and understand the patterns running in the rooms. And with this, I can react accordingly immediately. So I have, I have now the tools and the practice to allow 
some growing mindset. So I'm enjoying this with my family, with my friends, and also at work. The thing I get is I have so many great deep conversations on, on subjects which really matter and, you know, really difficult subjects. And I'm getting so many insights and I learn so much from people around just by enabling that space of deep conversation. Well, that's great. And Linda, what about you? Okay, so on, on the two fronts, really, I think, you know, how have I improved as a coach? I think that I've improved as a coach in that I actually am better at staying in the moment, which is what you need to do if you want to listen. Um, so I'm more aware about remaining open, about remaining curious and creating space. As a result, I'm better at digging deeper when I ask questions for which I don't have the answers, which actually really helps my coaches understand themselves, their situations and their relationships more deeply, and they find resolutions actually much more quickly. For me personally, um, understanding all the neuroscience, as, as Christian just said, has made me a lot more confident when I have to have those difficult conversations. I used to be brilliant at avoiding those. I don't avoid them anymore. Actually, I've come to quite enjoy them. And I get this amazing feeling when things go right. And I am so proud of myself. And that's also made me a lot better at supporting my coaches and helping them prepare for when they have to have these difficult conversations because I'm not scared of them myself anymore. That's great. That's great. And Karen, what about you? I'm going to start with it's a work in progress. Um, I, I think one of the big things for me, a little bit like what you just said, Linda, I think understanding chemically what's going on has helped a lot. So, you know, when you react to things and I understand what that is and have now adopted tools to try and calm that down, you know, whether it's breathing or whatever the case may be. I've always been pretty good in, with, in, in listening to clients or to coaches in listening to what they're saying. Like I, I, don't, I don't go into, I've never tried to solve their problem sort of thing unless that's my role. So it depends which hat you're wearing. Um, but definitely, in, I, I, definitely with conversations, there's still some learning for me to do in terms of uh, the friends and family type conversations. I think some of those kind of they're the hardest ones. It's much easier to be the expert yes. in the when you're talking to your own coaches or whatever. Um, and I find with the getting of wisdom, as I'm calling it, um, you know, you, you tend to, it's easier to adopt some of these learnings you know and for me it's about understanding emotional literacy it's, it's about the conversational piece it's about understanding how to listen um and listening to connect rather than just listening for your turn to speak uh which is a really important part in that um and so you know i i suspect it'll be an ongoing journey for me for the rest of my life uh i suspect it will be for most of us but you know um and and it, it's the more knowledge we have, I think that in some ways it is more joyful. To me, there's no such thing as a negative conversation anymore. Um, it's very much all conversations um, have the potential to be healthy, even the tough ones. 
and I think that's probably one of the greatest takeaways I've taken from the CRQ work, actually, is that there is no such thing as a negative or positive conversation. They are all conversations. It's just how we deal with them. Well, that's a that's a great a great summary right there. So, listen before we close, and this has been really a great a great conversation about conversations. <laughs> I've learned a lot from all of you going through this process. So. Do you, could each of you, I'll go around, each of you maybe have just one piece of advice that you could give anyone listening to this podcast on how they could improve their conversations this year. Let's start with you, Linda. Be curious in your conversations. Keep an open mind, ask questions for which you have no answers and listen to connect, not judge or reject. Beautiful, beautiful piece of advice. And Christian, what would your one piece of advice be right now? Yeah, my, my advice is simple. It's a, an exercise or a game. In some future conversation you have with friends, colleague, or family, take with you one piece of paper and a pen. And during the conversation, start writing or drawing what you get from the conversation. And at some point pass the pen to the other person which is speaking and invite her or him to also extend what is on the paper and continue writing and drawing and enjoy watching the result on the paper and also keep it on your side and look at it again one week later. You'll be surprised. Enjoy. I, lo I love that. And that's a much better tool than people looking at their phones as you're trying to have a conversation. So I like that. Put the phone away and bring out the pen and paper instead. So Karen, what would your what would your piece of wisdom be? Uh, uh, thank you, Christian. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. I shall steal that one um, <laughs> if that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, feel free. Um, I think be intentional. You know, be present. Um, don't if you know if you're going to ask a question then wait for the answer let people contribute to the conversation you know too often we go into a conversation with what's in our head and it's if you want to have a healthier conversation it's you will always have what's in our head but how do we put what's in our head to the side and that might mean taking a few breaths before a conversation if it's a more challenging conversation you know um and try not to make assumptions you know we are as humans we are assumption making machines and uh, we make assertions and assessments about everything that's how we get through life but when we go into conversations we need to or try to practice uh putting that to the side and listen and be connect to the person in front of us and be intentional and present in that conversation. Otherwise, don't have it, you know, quite frankly. <laughs> well, this is great advice from all of you. So keep an open mind. Don't have the conversation if you if you can't do some of this because it's not going to be a conversation, right? Well, it's going to be a really hard one. <laughs> yes. Be curious and actually listen. And, 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 and I love uh, Christian's pen and paper too because that awesome. could be a whole different way to – uh, actually engage people so they know you're listening and hearing and you're participating in, mm. in this. So I, I love all those great little gems and so many things that you've shared today. You're, you're, 
so wonderful. And honestly, everyone needs to go out and get this book, whether you're in the business world or you're reading it for your own personal improvement of your communication skills, because you've just heard from three of these coaches, but there's, there are, as I said, there were 15 who were involved and engaged in writing this book. And not only do we want you to get their book, Changing Conversations for a Changing World, which is available on Amazon and booksellers all over the world, but you're also doing a uh, once a month series right now with each of your authors. So mm -hmm. maybe Karen, why don't you just mention the uh, these roundtable discussions? So what we decided to do so that everybody can have an opportunity to share their chapter with the world at large, uh, we have a monthly regulars table. Uh, you can follow us actually on LinkedIn on the European CIQ community pages and on Facebook and they you can book it through Eventbrite. They are free events um, and they are streamed live. So it's, it would be lovely to have more people on them. But what we do is each month, we started in November with Chapter 1 and Karina. Uh, month 2 was with Elix and Chapter 2. This month is with Grace Moniz and Chapter 3 and so on and so forth. So we'll be having one of these for the rest of the year because there's 15 chapters. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, it's great. So and that's how people come to yeah, them. So yeah, so it's a wonderful way for people to really learn a lot more in depth than we've been able to do and you know, with just three of us in a conversation. And if people miss them, they are available to watch on video. So you can catch up people. Don't worry if you missed any of them. So yeah. we'll we we'll include well. yeah, we'll include that information here because I think that's really, really important. So Fantastic. thank you. Here's to much better conversations. I so enjoyed ours today. I learn a lot every time I talk to you people. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you, and have a great conversation, everyone listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great.